The year was 1967. A bunch of guys got together and thought they'd make a movie that portrayed a bunch of cop killers and bank robbers as sympathetic. And it worked. That's right. This episode, I watched Bonnie and Clyde. What is up, everybody? It's me, your host, uh, Jake Baker, and welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, whose name was previously dropped, watch movies for the very first time nostalgia-free and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. Oh, man, I royally fucked that up, but that's okay. So, what? what's up, everybody? It's been a hot second since I recorded a solo episode. I know. I heard... The mass hysteria, the groans, everybody's upset. It's it's just a solo, solo Jake episode. We 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 hate these because it's just a lonely man muttering into a microphone by himself, sitting in his room, talking about movies. A man whose opinion does not matter. But you know what? I'm a strong, independent guy, and I do need a woman, but that's for a later date. So instead, I'm going to spend my free time talking about a movie that I've watched for the very first time this week, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, man, I feel so rusty. I wonder if I'm going to have a breakdown like I did on that adaptation episode. I've been editing the podcast a lot recently because I was recently uh, laid off, for lack of a better term, uh, from my job, and I've spent that free time editing old podcasts. Um, and... Uh, that, that's been fun. I got to my adaptation episode and it seemed like I was about to have a mental breakdown. So that was fun, but it might also be the most entertaining solo episode I've ever done. So that's, that's, that's interesting. Like maybe I should start putting my, myself through just intense mental stress and then recording these episodes because that, that, that's true. That's true entertainment. You know, I gotta, I gotta do, I gotta do what's right for the show, you know? It doesn't matter about my potential PTSD, okay? At the end of the day, it's all about the pod, baby. It's all about that content. Got to make content out of your life. What am I even talking about? That's right. It's time to, yeah. uh, You know, sometimes I start these episodes by talking a little bit about myself. And I guess there is a bit of a personal reason why I chose to do this movie at this time. I was working on a script and it had some themes of of lovers on the run and and those types of stories and you know Bonnie and Clyde's kind of one of the premier types of these kinds of stories and so i finally finished the script and i was deciding that i would reward myself with this movie and so i i put it on late one night maybe maybe a little bit too late perhaps i feel like it was a little bit of a struggle to make it through the whole thing at times, but yeah, I I, I like this genre, you know, the the lovers on the run genre, the us against the world genre, and I'm worried, I'm a little bit worried that I went into this movie with maybe too high of expectations. I I genuinely thought going into this movie, given the cool time period and the actors involved and how in the zeit uh, not zeitgeist but just culturally relevant that i mean even just this couple is but the thing is it's weird this couple maybe only became as relevant as they are because of this movie 
you know, in doing a lot of research beforehand. I know, I know it's a big surprise, but I actually did do a lot of research on this movie after I watched it. Cause I was just, I, I, I was kind of having a hard time parsing through my feelings of how, of how I felt about this movie. Cause I, I, I don't want to tip my hand too early, but I didn't love it as much as I thought I would, but I found myself insanely curious about all the facts around the movie, about how it came, how the movie itself came to be about Bonnie and Clyde in real life. And, you know, it is, it is truly based on a real story. And, as as much as many liberties as the as the film takes, it does it does have certain things, and it's true, and it's kind of fascinating to think, yeah, like, yeah, like this couple was running around killing cops and robbing banks and and doing crazy shit back in the '30s, I believe, is when it takes place, the Depression era, something like that. Oh yeah, you can tell I totally did my research, but I, I was more, I mean, I was more interested in in the actual how the film came to be, you know. And and you can find all sorts of interesting information. There's a lot of conflicting information, but the the facts are some guys that had never written a script before who worked for a magazine just decided they were going to write a script about Bonnie and Clyde, and they really went for it. And they were big fans of the French New Wave at the time, which I'm completely ignorant of. I mean, maybe someday I'll get around to... I, I, I find myself... I do enjoy French films, a lot and so i, I kind of want to take i want to dip my toe into that but you know they're talking about like Truffaut and and you know uh, some other guy whose name's not coming to my brain at the moment but he was like a major influence on them when they were writing the script and then it was weird because they had written the script and somehow they managed to snag a meeting with the guy i i tell you sometimes i uh and it's a it's a very uh white privileged male white privilege specifically thing to say, but I sometimes I find myself wistfully thinking if if I had been, you know, in my late teens, in the late sixties, and then gotten to grow up in that era, it feels like maybe I could have, you know, been one of these guys, one of the one of the Scorseses or the uh psh, <laughs> yeah, all, all my heroes, <laughs> Scorsese. You know, everybody is like Spielberg, uh, and uh, yeah, Spielberg's around that era, and it's not actually really a hero of mine. But wow, I am an idiot. Brian De Palma, sure. Brian De Palma, Scorsese, uh, Coppola, all those guys. Lucas, to a certain extent, why not? I mean, he seemed like an interesting guy. You know, you, you don't hear me throwing out a, a lot of not white dude names. Right, and that's kind of the the bad part. Although I gotta say, I I listened to a really interesting book on tape called "Easy Riders and Raging Bulls" that was specifically about that exact time period. I mean, the book is it, it's the, the titles like not only does it flow off the tongue well, but it is exactly the encapsulation of the time period it's covering, like from the release of "Easy Rider" all the way through uh, "Raging Bull." It was kind of the end of an era in a, in a way, and. There's there's a lot of stories in there about the women that were kind of the unsung heroes of the genre. The big one being George Lucas's wife, uh, Marsha, I believe her name was. Wow, that's shitty of me if, if I'm getting that wrong, but sorry. Um, and I, I'm fascinated by them. I, I hope that this idea doesn't get stolen, but that's okay. No one's ever going to listen to this. So I can say I could say anything. I could say anything and it wouldn't matter. That's not true. Uh, but 
there's all these these women that the editors or the or the or the people that were the actors who managed to get big enough to have a say, and they were really kind of behind the scenes, just really making shit happen and keeping stuff on track. And you never really hear their stories. And I would just love, I don't know if it'd be a documentary or a fictionalized, slightly fictionalized TV show just to kind of amp up the drama a little bit. Or, I mean, just how interesting would that be? It's such a cool time period. And and there's a lot of women whose names should be household names and they're not. And it's a real shame. It's a bummer. And I, I hope someday that happens. If it's, me that does it that'd be cool but i hate research so i don't know i'd have to find somebody who's willing to uh do all the research for me and i'll be like that's cool i'll i'll man i'll put that in there that thanks you know yeah wildly off topic but lovers on the run stories right uh bonnie and clyde's the i think the premier one that comes to the brain when you think of lovers on the run and and it's it's interesting that it is at least to me obviously uh i can't overstate enough that literally everything that comes out of my mouth is in fact my opinion just laying it out there so i don't have to say personally and in my opinion after every statement i'm about to make it's just that's just the way people talking works fyi but, wow, I came off really dickish. I'm sorry. That sounded kind of condescending. Uh, don't hate me. Or hate me. I don't know. If if you hate listening to me, if this could be like a Howard Stern type thing, that'd be kind of cool, right? That's too bad I don't, I'm not enough of a cult of personality to garner any feelings one way or the other. Oh, shit. Self-deprecation. What the fuck is happening? Uh, anyway. <laughs> hey, maybe this will be one of my breakdown episodes. But what I mean is... Uh, the Bonnie and Clyde, their actual love story within the confines of this film was certainly not what I was expecting. I, I think I had had my hand tipped a little bit in terms of uh, Warren Beatty's situation in the movie, but still, it's just it's not your it's not your typical love story, that's for sure. And it's it's interesting that it's the one that maybe a lot of people think of for the lovers on the run genre. But you know, it is a fascinating genre. It's it's such a great way to present a relationship the us against the world right because that's what people fantasize about you know at least i mean i don't want to project obviously but to me that's that's about as romantic as it (laughs) about as romantic as it can get you know just the idea that you're the only two people that truly understand each other in this world and and you're gonna do what you can to get by and stuff like that and you know i I think I've recommended it on this podcast before, but I've even of recent, the past few months, become even more obsessed with the the movie True Romance, the Quentin Tarantino penned uh, Tony Scott directed film with Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. I I just I don't know what it is about that movie, but it it just it just grows on me every time I watch it. I love it. It, it honestly is kind of a flawed movie. In a lot of ways, but it, I love it because of it. I, I love it. I, I remember hearing somebody recently talking about how most movies have flaws, but if they are something that you love and you're so used to watching them over and over, you start to just kind of love the flaws. Because it wouldn't be if, if something was kind of a problem that most people agreed on and they went in and like digitally fixed it somehow and you were watching it again it would feel weird to you you want it all there warts and all and and that movie is just it's just it asks you 
really early on to just get on board. By the way, my window is open because it's finally warm again. And if you hear any bullshit outside the window, that's because this is an unprofessional podcast. And you knew that. You knew that getting in here. If this is your first episode, what the hell are you doing here? Bonnie and Clyde, that was the one that brought you in. You're like, holy shit, someone's actually talking about Bonnie and Clyde. Never seen that before. There's a lot of people that talk about Bonnie and Clyde, and they're a lot better at it than me. I got to just keep digging at myself. Huh? This is charming, right? It's charming that I do that instead of just because, because, you know, I, I can't pretend like I actually know what I'm talking about. So I have to keep undercutting it. Just so you know, I'm not that serious. It's everything's all fun and games. Don't worry about it. It's, it's good. Anyway. Uh, true, true romance is the big one for me. I love it. And, and it asks you to get on board so fast. It, if you, if you haven't seen it, the very early on, they have a conversation that's basically just like, I love you. And I love, and the other guy's like, I love you. All right. And you, the movie's like, are you on board or not? And, and you either get on board or you don't. And I could see some people watching that movie and being like, what the fuck? This is ridiculous. But I think one of the other things that's kind of, uh, through line for a lot of these lovers on the run movies, unless it's the sort of subgenre of they were wronged and they're caught in a bad situation and they're like running from the bad guys, you know, but a lot of times our characters in these stories, they're, they're kind of outside the law a little bit. And it, it's not a stretch to say a lot of them, they, they're a little bit, they're a little bit psychotic. They're a little bit messed up in the head. And, you know, the more I watch movies like True Romance and stuff like that, you, you see you see the hints of these are these are not normal people and they don't behave normally. And, and, and the movie does a good job of kind of letting you know that we're living in a slightly altered reality here, at least in terms of these characters worldview. And and but the thing with that is Bonnie and Clyde gives you <laughs> the opening. Well, uh, I'll get into the summary of it later um i never know what to do on these solo episodes because i i feel like a lot of times it's a lot easier for me to just kind of go through the movie beat by beat so i don't get completely off track but uh just just as a generalization the movie their relationship starts real fast they clearly have a fascination for each other within the first five minutes of the movie but it also is a movie that is about building to a certain point they their their relationship is an ongoing thing as the movie goes on and in true romance that's not quite the case they they're on board and then you're just kind of watching their adventure from from then on it's not so much about them building their relationship they're just into each other and that's cool and it's fun to watch but you know bonnie and clyde they have a lot of shit they have to work out and and yeah it's <laughs> It's certainly an interesting take that maybe I haven't quite seen before. And, and you know, I like I said, I'm fascinated with this genre, and, I, and I've become recently obsessed with it because of some of the writing I've been doing. And if you do follow this podcast, which, I mean, bless you, just thank you. Instead of being a dick about it, I'll just say thank you. <laughs> That's nicer, right? Instead of just hating on myself it's uh, just thank you for listening. Anybody that's listening to this, you're, you're, a, you're a swell person. Uh, <laughs> that sounded sarcastic. I, I, it's true. I, I appreciate you, but uh, I have a whole laundry list of of films in this genre that I want to watch, and so you'll probably see a lot of episodes coming out 
after the fact of, you know, you'll see my Thelma and Louise episode, which I kind of classify that as a lovers on the run. I'm not necessarily insinuating that it's some sort of uh, romance movie, but I mean, I, I think it's fair to put that in that genre. There's, there's a movie called Badlands I've had my eye on. There's a movie called Sugarland Express I've had my eye on. There's there's a lot. I, I have seen Natural Born Killers, so that, that movie doesn't really qualify for this podcast unless I force somebody else to sit through that. That's a that's an interesting animal. I, I grew up watching that movie, and I like it to a certain extent. I, I mean, I love the two lead performances, and I, I definitely use it as a reference point sometimes in my own stuff but it's it's a messy ass movie and it's no uh secret that quentin tarantino is pissed at how uh oliver stone decided to direct that movie it, it's it's literally a story that he got to the part where uh they get to the rodney dangerfield where everything's shot like it's a sitcom with a laugh track and he just turned it off and i'm like you know what I, if that's not the vision that you had and someone did that to a script that, that you had written, I don't, I don't really blame you. It's, it's hard, you know, any good writing has to come from a personal place in some regard, hopefully, if you're doing your job right. And so to see something in, that in your mind is so bastardized, I, I can't blame, can't blame you for that. You know, I, yeah, it's just, uh, it's. It's weird because I I don't hate that movie, but I I I, I don't disagree with people that don't like it that much. But I I think the core I mean that's maybe the most psychotic couple of of this genre because they are off the fucking rails. Like Bonnie and Clyde, they're pretty human. A lot of times when they kill, it's not it's they're not sadistic you know like most of their kills in the movie are they're kind of warranted and then you know uh clarence in alabama i don't even think do they i mean i mean clarence i guess he kills drexel and drexel's bodyguard so he's he's got a bit of an edge and then alabama kills james gandolfini but i mean she has to uh and other than that i don't think they kill anybody else they just so like as as weird as they are i don't think they're fully psychotic and then yes it's it'll it'll be interesting you know i just i'm so attracted to outlaws and people living outside the law you know it's just it's it's just a fascinating subject and i think as someone that if you're someone that's creative or strives to work in a space that maybe society doesn't necessarily say hey yeah you know like go to school and you can go write movies and it's that easy. It's like, it's a whole thing. That's it's a, it's a hard gig to break into and you feel kind of like an outsider. And so that's why those, I think those movies are so attractive, but it's also, it's just, I think it could be attractive to anybody that watches those movies. You just, there's all, there's, there's a little part, I think of everybody that just feels like, man, wouldn't it be cool to just fucking say fuck everything and just go rob banks and live free uh, even as much as Bonnie and Clyde doesn't actually glamorize that lifestyle that much, but uh, I don't know. I digress. Uh, I think I've, I think I've blabbed enough about whatever the fuck I just blabbed about. I think I'll I think I'll move on to preconceived notions. And guess what? I did not write down my preconceived notions, but that's okay. I'll do them from memory because that's always worked out fine for me, right? 
Let's see. Uh, <laughs> so I, I know Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway were, were the stars of it. Warren Beatty someone I, I'm not that familiar with. He's mentioned quite frequently in that previously mentioned book that I was talking about, the Easy Riders and Raging Bulls book, because he was... I mean, he was important to film in general around that time. I mean, this is the movie that I think fully launched him, but he was around, and I get it, man. Uh, I was talking about True Romance earlier, and and Clarence has that whole diatribe about Elvis being prettier than most women, you know? You know, if I I had to fuck a guy, I mean, like, absolutely had to. You know, I'd fuck Elvis or whatever. He's got that whole diatribe. I'm, I I could see that being applied to, to Beatty pretty easily, too. He's a very handsome man, and I get why he was a leading man for so long. And uh, Bonnie and Clyde really made him a, a serious power player. I believe he's maybe the only guy who's ever won, like, multiple Oscars for movies he, like, wrote, produced, and starred in or something like that. He's He's got, like, an insane track record. But the, the fact of the matter is... I actually haven't seen a lot of his films. He's got Reds or whatever, and he's got like Soap Dish. And he, I mean, uh, they're, they're movies that maybe I'll get around to eventually, but Bonnie and Clyde was the one I was the most interested in. Um, Faye Dunaway, obviously, being uh, in Chinatown. So that's that's a big deal. And she's great in that. She's I, I was looking at her IMDb after the fact, and I was just kind of fascinated by what all she's been in because she's uh she's apparently in network as well which is a movie that i'll probably have to cover eventually but she's also like some of her recent credits are are interesting she's in a movie called cutoff that i actually own on dvd because the cover looked really cool and it was uh, i i don't mean to disparage films especially a film that clearly had kind of a low budget but it was bad it was a bad movie but apparently she's in it I, I assume she's the mom i don't recommend watching that movie so i'm not asking for clarification from anybody i guess if for some reason you've seen that obscure movie uh let me know i'll i mean i'm i can check myself malcolm mcdowell's in it too i don't know who the fuck i i have to look into that movie and she's also in a movie called gene generation which I, I can't remember if I still have it on DVD, but I bought it like when Hollywood Video was going out of business because it had a cool looking Asian lady on the front and she had like two swords or something. I was like, sure, why not? This could be cool. And I don't think I ever watched it, but apparently according to IMDb, Faye Dunaway is in it. I I don't know in what capacity. I, I assumed it was a foreign movie, so I don't I don't know what the hell's going on there. But um going in, I somehow knew that Warren Beatty's character was impotent, which is a major factor in the movie. And I'm curious, I am very curious how I would have seen the movie not knowing that because it's a little bit confusing early on because, you know, he talks early on about, I ain't no lover boy or whatever, which is fine. You know, uh, like that doesn't really mean a whole lot unless you kind of know what he's talking about, but it's still something, you, you know, you, at face value, you almost take it as, Hey, I'm not in it to just fuck you. I'm, I, I got a lot more going on than that. And that, and that's fine. But then when they finally uh, try to uh, make love, <laughs> I guess for, uh, for the first time, it's shot in such a confusing way that I don't know if I would have understood 
that it was like he couldn't get it up. Uh, but I knew that that was his deal. So I kind of understood what the hell was going on in that scene. But I'm curious if someone watched this movie and didn't know that was a thing. I, I don't know how that plays. Because that's another thing with this movie. This is a movie that it's taken me a couple days. I think I watched it like three or four days ago to get the gumption up to even record an episode on this film. Cause I, I still don't know how I fully feel about this movie. This is a movie that I feel like if I, the longer time goes on and if I watch it a few more times, I think my appreciation for it will slowly kind of rise. But on a first watch, not knowing what I was getting into, it's cut, in a way that's that's very jarring sometimes and it's it's hard to follow it just goes from one thing to the next and the thing is looking back on it i think it's asking a lot from its audience in a good way in a way that i appreciate from films but at the time it was a little bit hard to keep up with sometimes as uh, the, you know thinking back on it i think that there was definitely moments where it was jumping it was jumping time like big big leaps in time and i was i was having a hard time following along and clyde and bonnie's relationship in the movie is it's actually very subtle and it simmers underneath and her stuff with how she feels about blanche and and uh buck i was having trouble remembering his name buck buck barrow it's a good name good superhero name honestly buck barrow could have been good. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, you know, alliteration. Superheroes have alliteration names, right? That's that's the thing. Buck Barrow. Am I selling it? Do you believe me yet? I don't know. Um, I can't. I feel like I knew Gene Hackman was in the movie, but my 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 research after the fact and my research before the fact is kind of all blended together in a weird way. But I, I'm almost positive that I knew Gene. Hackman was in the movie, and I think I knew Gene Wilder was in the movie as well. Um, I'm not as familiar with the woman that played Blanche, uh, Blanche, Blanche. Blanche. Uh, she's apparently been she was on Roseanne for forever, which is a show I watched, but I just I didn't recall her. And I feel bad that I don't really know her name off the top of my head, but having paused the podcast and looked it up, her name is Estelle Parsons, uh, and. I think all the lead performances in the, in this movie are... I'm getting into the movie. I'm supposed to be in my preconceived notions. The fact of the matter is, I don't have any preconceived notions. All I know is, Bonnie and Clyde die at the end. That's the famous thing, because they died in real life. They were probably going to die at the end of this movie, and they did. So I guess, check mark. Do I do check marks? I check mark my preconceived notions. I don't think that's what I do, but uh, that's about all I knew. I, I, I kind of knew the actors. I knew it was about them running around robbing banks, and it was based on a true story, and I knew they died at the end, and that was all I had. I, I really went into this movie actually pretty blind, which is the thing that's interesting. I I wonder how many people actually have sat down and watched this movie, or how many... Bonnie and Clyde, that is... You can say Bonnie and Clyde literally... Everybody knows what you're talking about. That's referenced in rap songs. It's it's referenced in movies. It's it's the go-to reference. But I'm curious how many people have seen the OG 67 Bonnie and Clyde because this is another case of a movie where it feels like the movie's so ingrained in our culture, but not at all because I don't. I mean, 
people don't talk about the scenes in the movie. People don't. I mean, you'd think that early on that scene with them with the Coke bottles would be a touchstone. It would be something that people would reference. It's it's sexy in a way that I don't see in a lot of movies. And yet, I I did I sure as shit never heard anything about it. Like I don't know. I I'm curious how many people have actually seen it. I I think older people because of how you know important it was at the time may have seen it uh, i mean i don't even know what the age range is anymore i asked my dad if he'd seen it and he said he had which is interesting because he's not a big film guy but he didn't really have a whole lot to say about the movie you know my older uh friend dan he was pretty aware of the movie it seemed like when i was talking to him about it literally today but uh, I mean, you know, people my age, I I don't know. I mean, has anyone actually sat down and really watched the movie? I don't feel like people talk about it in a critical capacity that much. So I don't know, you know. And and with that in mind, I I feel like pretty comfortable going through this movie beat by beat because a lot of people might not even know what I'm talking about. So I might have to kind of describe what's going on in the movie. But I guess. Before that, sometimes I do a summary, like a real quick Jake summarizes the movie, but it's always bad, but it's kind of funny in a pathetic way. That's the idea, at least. And I will try that this time. But this is, this is, there's a, there, a lot happens and not a lot happens in this movie. So, fuck it. Here we go. The movie starts off with uh, Bonnie Parker being sort of restless in bed. She notices that a man is outside her window trying to steal her mother's car. She calls him on it, and for some reason, they hit it off right away. And in an effort to impress her, he decides to rob a grocery store, and they kind of set off on a whirlwind adventure where they decide they're going to rob places, and she's on board. She tries to leave pretty early on, but he convinces her to stay. Their first robbery doesn't really go so well. They end up picking up a cohort in the name of C.W. Moss, who becomes their sort of mechanic driver guy. And they finally do do a robbery. And later on, they meet up with Clyde's brother, Buck, and his new wife, Blanche. And they kind of join the party. And then the five of them just kind of tear through the country doing some robberies getting blamed for some other robberies that maybe they didn't do. And they just, uh, they're, they're running around doing shit and, uh, getting chased by the cops a lot. Cause apparently the cops have nothing better to do than do nothing but chase them and ambush them and spend all their time going after them until finally they kind of all get picked off one by one. And then, uh, it ends very badly for almost everybody. Yeah. So that's that's basically the movie. <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot more specifics to get into, but that's the point of the rest of the podcast, I believe. Uh, <laughs> I hope I don't sound too low energy. I, I took a little bit of a break. Uh, my jaw literally was starting to get tired. I don't know if I've talked this extensively for a long time. And I don't know how the hell I used to do those solo podcasts. I guess I probably took breaks every once in a while, but good Lord, you know. Anyway, let's get into the meat of the movie. Like I said, we got Warren Beatty. I already talked about him a little bit. I'm not super familiar with his work, but he, I mean, he seems like a pretty good actor. There's moments where 
he's going a little a little over the top in this movie, but I think he does a pretty good job. You got Faye Dunaway. Uh, she's just great. I mean, she's fantastic. I I love her. Please marry me today, Faye Dunaway. I was going to say just kidding, but I'm not. Uh, <laughs> it's directed by Arthur Penn, someone who I'm also not that familiar with. I looked up his IMDb, and I haven't really seen a lot of the movies he's made. The thing, the thing with this movie that's kind of interesting, it, this movie seems to be the sort of lightning in a bottle type stuff that only, I feel like sometimes only movies can really give you where if you look at the credentials of everybody involved, this maybe shouldn't have worked on paper. The writers were first time writers. The director, he's, I mean, he's a good director. He's very competent, but if you look at his history, it's like, well, okay, sure. I guess this guy, why not? Warren Beatty, he, really wanted to be a part of the picture. He, he's basically the driving force that even got this thing made. Faye Dunaway, she, they found her after going through tons of actresses. Uh, and finally, they ended up going with her, even though I believe I read a story that Warren Beatty wasn't even that enamored with her. He didn't think she was that good for the part, but Arthur Penn thought she was. The cinematographer, he's got a lot of good work under his belt, but at the same time, it doesn't really suggest that he would be capable of making something that's an all-timer like this. The, the editor is a pretty interesting editor. I, uh, I, I mean, I don't have her name at the top of my head, but just, just looking, sometimes when I click on the IMDb and, and just look at people's Especially the work that they did before this movie. That's what's really interesting is no, nobody really had a whole lot coming into this. This movie launched a lot of careers. And what's sad is it didn't even necessarily... A lot of people, they managed to go on to do cool and interesting stuff. But you'd think that everybody involved in this movie would be mega stars. And weirdly enough, I'm the one I'm like the most familiar with is Gene Hackman. After all, all is said and done. Gene Wilder, obviously, you know, got Willy Wonka and all that good stuff. But uh, Gene Hackman, spoiler alert for the movie, I'll probably end up recommending at the end of this. Gene Hackman was my big, well, if I'm going to recommend a movie in conjunction with this and I already blew my true romance recommendation, I'll probably have to pick something related to Gene Hackman. So that's probably what I'll end up recommending at the end of this. <laughs> what what a fascinating career that guy had. I can say had almost definitively because he just, his last movie was just straight up Welcome to Mooseport. And then he just apparently decided he was fucking done after that. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, uh, I'm very curious. I feel like a lot of people speculate that he hated that experience so much that he was just was done after that. But I don't know if that's necessarily true. Even that movie itself, it's not like it's the worst movie of all time. I, I just, I'm very curious what went on regarding that. But I have another note, and and I thought this when when I was reading up on that movie, it felt like it was a secret that Robert Town was involved with this movie. But he's he's credited in the opening credits as like a special consultant. So it's not it it wasn't hidden that he he was involved in this movie. They with Robert Town they throw around the term script doctor a lot. But I also having listened to stuff like script notes and stuff like that, they say the term script doctor. <laughs> I can't even say it. Bad juju. They say that script doctor is kind of a 
sort of a weird term that's not really true about stuff because you, you get this you get this mythos about script doctors. Oh, this guy is going to come in and just rework the script, and he's just he's magic with with the keyboard, and he can just fix anything. It's not really the case when it comes to writing, and I kind of see that. I I used to have a fantasy in my head of sort of filling in a role like that because I've always felt like I can read other people's work and see what needs help and what doesn't, and I can match their tone. So that was kind of kind of takes the wind out of my sails a little bit to hear that that's not necessarily a thing it just in terms of it's not exactly an occupation but at the same time it is a thing that a lot of rewrites in hollywood go uncredited and 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 hopefully you know it's it's just well known that you do good work and you get good word of mouth even if you're not even if your imdb doesn't necessarily look like a stellar record people know that you do good stuff it, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing but robert town obviously is a genius he's he's someone who i i need to check to see if anyone's done like a proper documentary on him because obviously he was involved I, I believe he just fully wrote chinatown which is his his resume is is pretty stellar and that's just the stuff that he actually got credit for he always seems to crop up just all over the place when it comes to movies in the seventies and eighties, he just was around and in, in the early, in like the late sixties, he just was a guy who like, he's the good writer. And he just, some people, they're just good at that kind of stuff. They have the brain for it. And, you know, maybe they're weird or whatever, but you know, like Robert town, he just seems like a guy who was a fucking great writer. He had a brain for sort of crime type stuff. And he just, he, he was a majorly instrumental in probably some of the best movies of all time. And you got to give the guy some credit, you know, Jesus H Christ. I should probably talk about the actual movie. Um, let's get into it. So the movie opens with, Bonnie, she's kind of restlessly walking about her room, and it's shot in a really fascinating way. It it grabbed me really early on, all the close-ups on her face, her banging against her headboard. She's frustrated, and it communicates that really quickly in in a really interesting way. I I was already kind of taken aback by how quick and jarring a, a late 60s movie was just cutting around which i i, I tried I, I feel like i knew that it was one of those movies that's considered ahead of its time because it's so edit heavy and stuff like that but still it, it was interesting it caught me a little bit off guard and she's uh she hears clyde outside who's trying to steal her mother's car and she sees him and he tries to play it cool but, you know, she's kind of, they're just instantaneously flirtatious, which, I mean, it, it's interesting. With films, sometimes it's, you you kind of have to, it's always this push and pull, right? Where all your movie stars, they're, they're attractive people to the masses. You know, I never want to generalize and say that, oh, so-and-so is attractive and blah, 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 but... I think if we're being general here, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway are very attractive people. And so there's a little bit of film language that you're getting here. Of Yeah, he sees this naked woman in in the window and he's like, whoa, what's going on with that? And she sees this charming, well-dressed man smiling up at her. And she's like, whoa, what's up with that? And so they, they you know, they're instantly 
smitten in a way. They're 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 very interested in each other right off the bat, and we've already gotten that she's bored. We don't quite know what his deal is, but it's super easy to buy why he might be interested in her, and. <laughs> She just kind of comes downstairs and she's like, I'm going to work. And he's like, I guess I'm going to stalk you to work. And she's like, cool. Sounds good. And they just, they walk along. And I, I, you know, on on a first watch, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm already a little off balance. You know, I'm like, okay. So for for me, when it comes to love stories and romance, like I want to know what it is about this other person that, fulfills you why are you so interested in them and so for them to be so into each other so fast i I was a little off balance but i do think the movie does a good job of slowly letting you understand what what interest what they do that attracts them to each other you know but they they have a fun scene where they walk. I think they don't even get very far away from the house where he's like, "Ah, oh, you must be like a movie star or whatever." And she's like, "What? No." And he's like, he kind of plays around, but then he just hard calls the fact that she's a waitress, and you just see her face fall when that happens. And and you, it's interesting because Warren Beatty's character Clyde in this movie he fluctuates between being super competent to being super vulnerable. And so these moments where he's just hard calling Bonnie, you're, you're like, Oh man, he's just got her pegged. And and I think that almost makes it more interesting when he's vulnerable later, you know? And for me, uh, them walking along the town is interesting and it's shot in an interesting way. I, I think there's a lot of like wonders going on there and the town's like dusty and decrepit. It's, it's fun, but like when it, once it gets to the Coke bottle scene where they're both drinking Coke and he's got like that match hanging out of his mouth, that that is a seduction scene. And and again, when I was first watching it, it, it was just so close and jarring that I wasn't quite sure what was happening. But having had time to reflect upon it a little bit, I mean, it's just such a well done scene. He he's trying to be so macho, and I, I mean she's. The the bottles are very phallic and and stuff like that with what she's doing with it, sure. But at the same time, it's just they're trying so hard to impress each other in a weird way, and it's fun. They feel young. Like I don't know how old they're supposed to be in this movie, but they feel so. It feels almost teenagerish in a weird way. This is like high school romance type shit. That, that we're seeing where he's like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm tough. And she's like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I'm interesting. You should be interested in me. And, you know, that scene ends up leading to him saying, you know, he shows his gun. <laughs> yeah. like That's another important factor in that scene. He, 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 she doesn't really believe that he's a bank robber, which I don't believe he's a bank robber either. I don't, fucking think he's robbed any banks. He said he was in jail for armed robbery. Who knows what actually happened if he really was in jail for armed robbery. I mean, I guess to be fair, this is based on a true story, so maybe he really was in jail for armed robbery. I don't fucking know. I said I did research. I didn't do that much research, guys. But he's just he's very boisterous and bluffing. He, He flashes his gun and it's not a stretch to say that in this movie, uh, Clyde Barrow's gun is very representative of his penis, guys. His gun is his dick. The gun is his dick. It's like a love gun by Kiss, as talked about in the movie Role Models. 
<laughs> I never recommended it, but hey, I like the movie Role Models. It's fun. I think people people maybe slept on that one a little bit. It's fun. But the gun is his dick, but it's his dick that actually works. She touches it. <laughs> she was just sucking on a Coke bottle earlier, and now she's touching his dick gun. It's a... Uh, it's an interesting scene. <laughs> he goes in the grocery store and he robs it and they run off. They steal the car. Uh, big, big running theme in this movie is just fucking stealing all of the cars. This is basically Grand Theft Auto 1930s edition. They steal so many fucking cars in this movie. This movie opens with a guy trying to steal a car and that sets off his romance. And then they steal a car. They run away if I'm remembering correctly, they don't have much of a chase, but they end up in this field. And and, and this is a good scene, too. I, I like it because they have a bit of an argument. And it, it's I like how that scene is blocked. It, it's shot in a, in a good way, but there's a lot of stumbling about. There's a lot of Faye Dunaway getting out of the car and Warren Beatty falling all over himself to try to get out on her side. I believe she like strikes up a cigarette and she's smoking. She's frustrated. She's saying, take me home. Cause I I think what happens is she's trying to like kiss him cause she's all worked up from the robbery and he kind of pushes her off of him, which is, you know, our first glimpse into their ongoing issues. I mean, this is what, like the third or fourth scene in the movie. We're already laying the groundwork for, this uh, again this is a movie that the more i reflect upon it and the more i think about how i'll probably watch it in the future i think it's a movie that's going to grow on me a lot i i'm nervous for giving it a score at the end of this podcast because i'm definitely going to lowball it pretty hard and it's going to make me sad when i go back and listen to this episode but it is what it is that's kind of the nature of this show the whole point is i watch movies and give my Nostalgia-free opinions on them, which does kind of, in my opinion, also include not sitting with them for too long. I can't just watch a movie and then watch it. Although I did that for Adaptation. So, you know, take that for what you will. Maybe I should have watched Bonnie and Clyde again before this episode. But I'm a piece of shit, and I didn't. So, you're going to get what you get, motherfuckers. <laughs> you're not motherfuckers unless you are if you have a wife who has children that's cool you do you or if you have someone else's mom that you're fucking that's cool too you know as long as everything's consensual it's all about consent people it's all about consent here on the Bonnie and Clyde episode of Clear Tinted Classics <laughs> Anyway, they have a really good scene where, uh, you know, Warren Beatty's like, I ain't no lover boy, blah, blah, blah. She's pissed. Take me home. He kind of wins her over in whatever he does because I didn't actually write a line. No, he says uh, best damn girl in Texas because he's got this whole diatribe where, you know, he sees her as the bored waitress in the middle of bumfuck Texas that she has, which is, you know, I, I think he's got a little bit of insight from personal experience, you know, because I think as the movie goes on, you you begin to understand that he's not necessarily exactly some city boy who's living large. He's also from, you know, who knows where. And so I think that's part of why he's able to see through her so hard, because he's been there in a weird way. You get the sense that he's this guy who had nothing going on and was like, fuck it, I'm going to do something that. You know, I'm going I'm to do whatever I have to do to, you know, be interesting, do make money, 
like the regular regular life's not for me and he sees this woman he sees a kindred spirit you know that's sort of the essence of these lovers on the run movies and he's able to appeal to that the the best damn girl in texas i mean it's a pretty far stretch for a woman that you've known for all of an hour but she <laughs> seems to like that <laughs> well enough so she climbs back into the car and uh I think it it just like hard cuts to them at the diner and he's just laying it out for her. here's what your life was and you know she it's 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 actually a really well done version of that scene because it could come off as him just stripping her down and making her feel bare but a she's really a part of the conversation because every time he's a little bit off track she kind of course corrects him back onto the thing when when he's like, oh, he worked at like a factory or whatever. She's like, this kind of factory and stuff like that. So she's still engaged in the conversation and she's interested in the way that he's break breaking her down. And I think that really sets the tone for the rest of the movie because, and even early on, you know, he commits that grocery store robbery. I, I don't think it's a stretch to say he commits it in order to impress her. And throughout the movie, you kind of get the sense that Clyde for the rest of the movie is mostly doing what he does because of Bonnie. And it's not like she's, I wouldn't even quite call her a bad influence, but at the same time, she feels like the driving force of this movie. She, there's a scene later in the movie where they're kind of settled down for a second and Clyde's perfectly content to play checkers with everybody and his family. And he's having a good time. Who's not having a good time? Bonnie. She's the one, she's the one that really craves adventure. She's the real driving force in this movie. And, and, and I mean, nowadays it it does kind of roll off the tongue to say Bonnie and Clyde. But for me at the time, you, you know, they had to make that choice and, I can say Clyde and Bonnie, and you're like, whoa, that doesn't sound right. But imagine if they had called it Clyde and Bonnie, and that had just been how it was understood for 60-plus years. It wouldn't sound so weird, but they made an active choice to call it Bonnie and Clyde. And it's because, uh, you know, Bonnie gets top billing, in my opinion. She's she's the driving force of this whole movie. But yeah, after the diner, they steal another car, because of course they do. They go hide out of the house. We get a real quick scene that establishes that Clyde's an insane crack shot, which apparently was true. He, he truly was amazing with guns, but it's it's kind of the duality of his character in this movie. Which they, which it's funny because the early on apparently the script called for Clyde to be kind of like bisexual. He was going to have a relationship with Bonnie and C.W. Moss, and Warren Beatty kind of pushed back against that. And I don't know if it was him that suggested it, but the the impotent thing was, was born out of that pushback. But the the duality of him being so good with guns, but so bad in bed is it really is it works really well, and I, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to be so good at shooting. It's it's one of those things where uh, there's a lot of action movies where someone picks up a gun and they're just magically good with it. But Clyde, I buy being good. Bonnie seems to pick it up pretty quickly, but. You know, it is what it is. Uh, she's not. Uh, there's not a lot of moments in the movie where she's like a super crack shot. So I don't think it matters that much. It's kind of a fun scene if her shooting a tire. Some people roll up on the house. There's there's this whole scene which I think it is thematically relevant to the movie of Bonnie and Clyde fighting for the little guy and and stuff like that. They they let the 
people that have lost their house shoot out the windows and stuff like that. It's it's a very weird scene. It, it's cut in a weird way that makes me feel like half the actors weren't on set when the other actors were. There's just a lot of weird lingering shots of the farmer and his his buddy that rolls up later that also shoots the house. It's it's a very weird scene. Um but you know, it kind of sets the tone for Bonnie and Clyde are against the banks and they're for the little man and they hate the government and the the people that are taking the land from everybody. And you know, it sets the tone early for them being folk heroes, which they were for a time until they weren't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's a little bit later. Anyway, uh, you know, and, and this this movie's pretty funny too in certain regards because I really found the first bank robbery scene that that was a funny scene. And, you know, and it's good in that dark humor way that I really like. He he goes in there to rob the the first bank that they're together on. And the banks, the guys, just like, we don't have any money. I don't. Know. Oh yeah, sure, come back here. I don't give a shit. Like you don't have anything that you can take. And Clyde's like, well, come out and tell Bonnie that I, I couldn't rob you because you didn't have any money, and it's not my fault. Like the whole scene's really funny. She's laughing her ass off. He shoots out the window and sort of a fit of male rage, which is which is weirdly. Like I don't know if it's progressive. To, like I, I wouldn't quite say progressive, but at the same time, you know, watching it nowadays, when you see him acting out like that, you're just like, oh, fucking Clyde, and it plays it like Clyde's being a bit of a like a uh, shithead for doing that, you know. And he didn't need to do that, but he's mad because he couldn't rob the bank. So he's shooting the window out because fuck you. Uh, if I can't rob your bank, I'll shoot your window out at least. And it's just like in the movie, the movie clearly positions him as, as being a douche for doing that. So I, I found that kind of interesting. But then in the first of many weird ass cuts, they're just like at a gas station or a mechanics or something like that. And they meet C.W. Moss, who ends up being a major character in the movie. And I mean, I was instantly enamored with him, but at the same time, they're just, they decide that they want to ask him to come on their adventure. And I just, there's, there's no buildup to it at all. It's just this guy and he's kind of messing with their car and then like, Hey, oh, oh, and they kind of like, they, they nag him a little bit. And we were like, Oh, he don't want to be with us, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, nah, I'll steal all this money and come with you. And he's just, he's on board. There he is for the rest of the fucking movie, you know? And it's, it's weird. It's weird to watch it the first time because it's jarring. I, I don't think it's wrong of me to say that it's a, it's a little odd that that happens. So out of nowhere and so fast, especially for a character that is literally involved in the movie for the rest of the movie. He just, but but even that opening scene that he's in, not opening scene, but introductory scene, you, you do get a sense of what his deal is. So again, it's another one of those things where I feel like if I go back and li- and watch it, I'll appreciate it more. But you know, he's on board. They go. I think we get the scene where he's sleeping in the room, and. Faye Dunaway kind of leans over Warren Beatty like, hey, is he sleeping? I don't know. I kind of want some, even though C.W. Moss is watching it. It's the first start of Warren Beatty's Clyde character, making sure there's always other people around so that he doesn't have to get intimate with Bonnie, which is a thing. It's funny because like this, th- that happens and you kind of get the sense that He's going to do his best to avoid that. But then they do their first bank robbery, which almost goes poorly. 
for some reason, C.W. Moss takes a parking spot. I don't know. as as very weirdly edited, and I didn't understand why he did that other than him being kind of a dipshit, I guess. But they manage to get away, but Clyde ends up shooting a guy. You get a really interesting scene where they're in a theater. And it's funny because Clyde seems really fucked up about having killed a guy, and he's really taking it out on C.W., who's trying his hardest to just kind of take the brunt of it. And, but meanwhile, Bonnie doesn't give a fuck. She, she just, she's watching the movie where there's money dancing and it finally just cuts with them in a room together. And she's like singing the song. It's pretty interesting. I think it's the first glimpse into Bonnie, maybe, maybe being the more psychotic of the two deep down. I don't know. Again, like I said before, she's kind of the driving force, but you know, I got maybe maybe it's because the blood's not technically on her hands, but she she doesn't seem to care that they killed somebody. Clyde seems broken up about it, but he gets over it eventually. But this is the scene where they're together, and they kind of have this intimate moment. You know, there's a really good line I really liked about you know uh, Clyde basically tells Bonnie uh, he doesn't say this is your last chance, but he basically says like, look, like I killed somebody. And they're gonna know I did. So this is this is your chance to to fucking run away. You can maybe still go live a normal life, as long as you're with me. You're never gonna have a, a moment's peace. Well, I, I fucking butchered that. As long as you're with me, you're never gonna have a moment's peace. And she just comes back with you promise. And uh, I mean that was pretty great, you know. And he's he's into it. They try to consummate their relationship. And it's cut in such a weird way. And their body language is so weird. Like, I don't know if it was like a 60s thing. It's like so weirdly exaggerated. And and all their thrusting and hands are just in the weirdest places. Not to critique the sex in this movie, but it was it was very strange. And then he just... <laughs> I can't possibly do it justice. You kind of have to see that scene to understand what I'm talking about. But there's a lot of like pulling heads and going down and then this and pushing away and grabbing and holding. Finally, he gets up and he's like, I told you I wasn't no lover boy. And she's kind of just like, look, man, I guess I realized what you were talking about, but I already said I was on board. So I'm fucking on board. And it's, kinda, it's this nice moment of understanding between the two and it, but it's sad in a weird way because, you know, she's, got needs that need fulfilled and he's obviously attracted to her because he's been putting it off for so long but in that moment when she says she's with him he's like no we're gonna we're gonna do this and it's gonna be great and everything that we hope for and, and it's tragic in the way that it doesn't really work out you know and again at the at the time when i was watching it i was a little confused as to what was happening even though i had kind of some inside baseball knowledge of him being impotent but it's just it's a very strange scene but at the at the same time it's upon reflection a really intimate nice moment between the couple where she's like yeah you know you're not quite 100% what i was hoping for but you know i'm fucking in it to win it, so let's do this thing. So everybody stays together and they move on. That's when I believe Buck, uh, <laughs> Buck, that's some Buck. <laughs> that's when Buck and uh, Blanche show up, and uh, I, th I think that's the scene where a lot of the fun nods to the pictures they took back in the day happen. Bonnie uh, 
takes Clyde's cigar and she poses with it. And I mean, that's the famous They're They're literally, you can easily look it up online. There's the famous picture of Bonnie, uh, leg up on a car with a gun with a cigar clamped in her mouth. And, you know, back in the thirties, it was like, oh, oh my God, a woman, a woman smoking a cigar. I can't, I can't believe this. This is out of, this is out of control. But, and what's funny is like, you, you read these anecdotes of later she, when they would ever, ca- whenever they would capture cops, she'd always tell them like, go tell people I don't actually smoke cigars. That was like some bullshit that I did for a photo. I don't like this reputation. It, it's so strange. And it feels like it kind of fed into this movie because she poses for that picture. And then as soon as the picture's over, she like kind of takes the cigar out of her mouth and she's like, Oh, that tastes like shit. It's, there's just like nice little nods. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that, you know, I was joking in my introduction to this movie of like, oh, these killers, and they sympathized. Um, but it is. It, it's a movie that really makes you feel for them. They they seem very human, and a lot of their uh, a lot of their killing seems like it came out of necessity. And and you and you know, because at the end of the day, like yeah, there's there's sociopaths and there's psychopaths and stuff like that, but. Even those kind of people, there's human emotion behind everything. And so humanizing them and showing their their foibles and their their flaws and, and, and the things that set them off and the things that made them happy. It's it's just interesting, you know. You get Clyde and Buck having like a fun brother-brother moment. Uh, Blanche kind of establishes early on that she's maybe going to be kind of a shrill, naggy character, which is... Like she she does the job well. It's it's tough because like she's she serves a really important purpose and she has her fun moments every once in a while. But I get the feeling that a lot of people that watch this movie they probably don't like her that much. Like I really like her glasses. That's fun when she gets those. But at the same time, she's just she's she's in a a role that's that's always going to be underappreciated and and. It really is necessary to the dynamic of the group, it seems like. But at the same time, even the writers have gone on to say that, like, yeah, I wish we didn't make Blanche so annoying and and weird because in real life she was totally a part of the team and like we kind of did her dirty. But it is it is what it is. I see why it went the way it went. You get Gene Hackman telling his "Don't sell the cow" story, which apparently is a story that the writers actually heard from somebody when they were doing a tour through Texas. But in terms of the film itself, I don't think it's that important. It feels a lot like something they kept in because they're like, "Oh man, it's like this true story." But it comes back when he's telling Gene Wilder. But at the same time, for me, I'm like that story was <laughs> his little joke was whatever it, it was what it was. But they get. They they travel to Missouri and and it's like I was talking about earlier. They they kind of settle down for a second. They're gonna chill, and everybody seems pretty cool with chilling, except for Bonnie, and she hates it. And 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 looking at stuff later, a lot of people pointed out that some of Bonnie's frustration does come from the fact that Buck and Blanche. They do. They're they're recently married, and they do kind of have a relationship that, in a weird way, she envies. Which definitely isn't something that I hundred percent picked up on the first time I was watching it. She just seemed like she was bored and restless, and she had been promised this life of fun crime, and she wasn't getting it. But looking back on it, her irritation with them and that couple it does 
factor in, which is it, again, it's a movie. It's a movie that asks a lot out of its audience. It's got some subtle stuff going on within it that I, maybe you won't pick up on the first time. I certainly didn't. It took me reading reviews and and looking up stuff for me to be like, oh yeah, I could see how she was pissed because like Blanche and Buck, they're always kissing. Blanche obviously loves him. They're they're married, which I don't know how much that matters to Bonnie, but even just the fact that that Blanche and Buck are actually married could uh, could maybe kind of grind your nerves a little bit, but. That whole thing just ends up in a crazy ass police shootout, which I it just it, you see you see the boy that delivers the groceries kind of notice something weird, and he just eventually all the cops just show up and they just have this insane fucking gunfight, and it somehow works out. I guess I don't know if it's true to life, but it works. I guess so. There you go. But yeah, in that same vein, once they escape, uh, Bonnie kind of blows up at Blanche and Buck and. They have another pull out into a field and Bonnie gets out to talk to Clyde and she kind of really gives him shit. Uh, I believe she has like that line where she's like, uh, no love making at all and stuff like that. She really she really throws his his impotence in his face, which is rough for him. But, you know, she, she sees how, how much she hurts him and kind of apologizes. And like, clearly, they obviously work it out. Um, and she ends up getting back in there and I kind of, I feel like it kind of fast forwards. There's definitely a part in here where their name gets built up. They pull off a successful robbery at some point, like a, like a truly actually successful robbery where everything goes really smooth and they have a fun thing where Gene Hackman goes over the top of the bank wall and gets in there and, you know they make they make it away and it, it cuts back and forth between like the guy who they let keep their money and the cop they held up and it's just a lot of like oh their story's growing and uh, I think that ends up leading to the scene where they're parked by the lake and that sheriff guy who I believe is the guy who ends up eventually catching them by the end and killing them is like Frank something. Frank Hammer, I think, yeah, what the name. I'm pretty sure that's what that new Highwaymen movie is about. Not to date this podcast, but yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they catch him and, you know, they get the idea to take pictures with him, which I I have to assume that's based on uh, reality, I think. I mean, it's it's a fun scene where they're really dressing him down and he, he spits in Bonnie's face and Clyde beats the shit out of him and pushes him into a lake and that that's a that's a cool scene just from a filmmaking perspective because uh just people romping around in a lake that has to be hard to film and hard on the actors getting their clothes wet and stuff like that but they they shuttle him off on a boat and it's all good and uh yeah looking at my notes everything's i mean the sheriff scene and them actually successfully robbing a bank might have been out of order, but I'm not 100% sure. But either way, it's around this time they meet Gene Wilder. It's pretty funny because he wasn't like super famous, I think, before this movie. But the way it shows him, he like turns around and it seems like, oh boy, look at him. Here he is. It's Gene Wilder. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if he was really that important before this but you know he's fun he's he's doing a weird character you, you watch Willy Wonka and he seems so in charge that he and but he's got to play so meek 
in this movie. And and they they end up kidnapping him and his wife, girlfriend, lady, person. And, and but it's this fun scene where they're kind of all getting along until eventually, way down the line, he admits that he's an undertaker. And Bonnie's like, "Get him the fuck out of our car!" And they do. And I, and I like that actually because you get. They're all they're all having fun, and it's 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 building upon the legend that these folk heroes, like, oh, we're these robbers, but you don't have to be afraid of us if you're the common man, and we're actually good people deep down, and we're people you can literally hang out with. But the Undertaker thing really sets Bonnie off because you, you can clearly see that it's on her mind that she knows that this road's eventually going to lead somewhere. I mean, it's going to lead to their death. She knows. They all know in a weird way, but she especially seems pretty attuned to the fact that they're definitely dying young. Because I believe that's immediately followed with the scene where it it just kind of hard cuts to Clyde outside the car while the car slowly rolls by him and Bonnie's nowhere to be found. They can't find her. Clyde spots her in the cornfield and he chases her down. And she's just, she's upset and she's trying to go home. She's ready to bail again. And he kind of convinces her to stay by saying that they'll go visit her parents. And then I think it cuts to one of the weirdest chunks of the movie where they're having this weird family reunion picnic and it's shot so glossy and glazed over kind of like the, maybe they smeared Vaseline on the lens type of thing. It's so strange and everyone seems to be getting along. Okay. But every time it cuts to her mom, her mom's just not having it. And it's, there's all these weird solo shots of her mom almost staring down the barrel at the camera, just giving these weird prophetic messages like, you're going to die. And it's it's dreamlike in a weird way. I feel like I've heard people say that some chunks of this movie could be read as a dream. I don't, I don't necessarily buy that. But the fact that this chunk of the movie is shot the way it is, maybe this part is. But the fact that... Clyde and everybody else are such active participants in it. I don't quite buy that. You know, Clyde tries to bullshit her mom and be like, we're definitely going to settle down. Her mom's just like, nah. Her, her mom seems to have made her peace with the fact that her daughter's just probably going to die. And that's just how it is. She she just, I don't know. It's It's just weird. It's a lot of times when like these lovers on the run stories or these criminals, even when I'm writing myself, I find myself being like, well, what do the parents think are the parents in the picture? And so in this movie, I mean, you don't get any sense of, I think at one point Clyde asked Buck how their mom and their sister's doing maybe, but she's clearly out of the picture. Bonnie doesn't seem to have a dad, but she's got the mom and the mom's just written her off. She might as well be, planting her tombstone already she just doesn't seem to she, she's checked out it's it's shot in this weird way it's a, it's a scene that i feel like you could just analyze for days and i don't necessarily have the capacity to do that but it is i mean it's certainly worth noting they're in some weird sandy middle of nowhere they're making little hills and everyone seems to be getting along but the mom's just nope not having it Things kind of ramp up and slow down from here. I believe Clyde and Bonnie finally have an exchange at one point where Clyde tells Bonnie he loves her. And honestly, I don't have the notes, but I don't. I assume she says it back. They're they're kind of hanging out. I, I, I'm trying to remember. 
No, I do seem to have it written down. I thought I had the events wrong, but it it, it kind of it, it ratchets up. They're 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 hiding out all five of them, and then Blanche and CW they go to get food. Blanche gets seen, and another shootout, a big shootout happens. It's it's very similar to the motel thing, but this one goes pretty horribly awry, where Blanche and Buck both get shot, and then I think there's another shootout in a field, and and Buck gets fully mowed down. Blanche is blind. There's a lot of screeching that she has to do, and I just such a such a. A thankless role. That's what I was looking for. A thankless role where she's got to scream and cry. And it's like, I feel like as an audience member, I'm like, oh, come on, man. But at the same time, it's like, no, this is like how someone would react in this situation. So I feel I feel bad for the actress. Like I really hope people watch this movie and, and appreciate what she's doing. But yeah, everything gets a little hazy from here because they go off. CW, there's a scene where CW drives him to this weird beach thing where he manages to get some water and some food from this almost seemingly homeless community. But it's this weird, there's shades of, of there's like biblical shades in that scene where the, the common man's like, Bonnie and Clyde, oh my God, like it's them. But they, they were shot up in that same gunfight and they're, they're just like bleeding out on death's door, but everyone's like, Oh my God, it's them. We need to give them food and take care of them. But you know, CW just kind of ends up taking them to his dad's house and stuff like that. And his dad fluctuates between being like, Oh yeah, Bonnie and Clyde, you guys are great. I love that you were with my son, but whenever he's alone with CW, he's a complete asshole. And I just, I feel like Bonnie's like poetry came in was like a factor before all this, but I don't have a note about it until after all the CW Moss's dad is a dick stuff. But it is worth noting that A, in real life, Bonnie did write poetry and it was published by like a public newspaper. And B, in this movie, it really uses that to its advantage to where, especially the last, like she's got, a, I think, a poem early on that's a little more general, but later she has the poem about Bonnie and Clyde basically dying, almost predicting their deaths. And it's a poem that was published and it's, it's intense and it's, it's a, it's actually a good ass poem. It's a poem that I believe kind of, they use the poem to stretch us over our main crew and the cops that are after them and all that good stuff. And it's also, it leads to the scene with Bonnie and Clyde finally making love for real for the first time. And Clyde has this whole diatribe about, you know, you, it took you to tell my story. And it's just the, it's a really good summation of, Hey, you know, I was this guy and I wanted to make my mark on the world. And I was really boisterous when I met you and I tried to act like I knew you, but it was you who made me into what I am. And it's you who was able to immortalize me in words. You were able to capture me in a way that nobody else could. And for me, that's kind of why that scene of them finally making love works, because it does work as a character arc thing where he finally overcomes 
all the all the self doubt and shit that he's built up over the years. Because like you know, there's you can get really nitty gritty about it and be like, oh man, men who have ED, it's not as easy as some girl wrote a poem about me and I was able to bone her down or anything like that. But we're talking about a movie here, you know. And in terms of a movie and in terms of character arcs, it, it worked really well for me. And it was a thing where I it kind of solidified. And again, I think it would be stronger if I rewatched the film and it'd be stronger for anybody if you reflect upon the film, but it just, it's a thing where clearly it's been building up to this point. And it's it's one of the last things that happens in the movie and it makes you want to reflect upon how their relationship has been throughout this film. A lot of it's been excitement through robbery and gunfight and stuff like that. Gunfights rather, but it's a thing where it, it really solidifies the fact that this movie has been subtly hinting at the ups and downs of their relationship. And so it doesn't really come out of nowhere and and it makes you reevaluate what you've just seen in terms of how much it's paying attention to their relationship in general. And it's a thing that I think maybe even now I'm not able to quite wrap my mind around, but having seen that scene, I just was like, okay, I, I feel like maybe I knew what this was building to now. And if I had known before, maybe I would appreciate it more. But at the time I was like, okay, they seem like they have a really rough relationship. I almost don't even understand why she doesn't leave. But, uh, you know, now I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. (laughs) I think maybe a marriage proposal happens. I have marriage proposal written down as a question mark. I'm not sure. Maybe it does. I don't, I genuinely don't remember. That's okay. Uh, C.W. Moss's dad convinces him to kind of set them up. They go into town, but they seem to notice that, there's a trap. They leave CW behind. CW seems excited that they caught under the trap. Like it's this weird thing where it didn't feel like he wanted them to get caught, but he was also kind of going along with the plan. So I don't know how I felt about him by the end of it. Maybe I'd have to again rewatch it. But they seem to escape. But as they're traveling back to the place they were staying with CW's dad, the dad acts like he's broken down, and then the ambush happens. And uh, they seem like they notice it. We get a couple interesting quick shots of them looking at each other. Again, it happened so fast. I almost wanted to rewind it, but I didn't want to be at the moment, you know? They look at each other, and it's this look of like, holy shit, we're about to die, but I love you. I mean, that's what I read at least. And then they just get fucking lit the fuck up. And it's it didn't technically happen quite like that with him like outside of the car and her like with the car door open. But I mean, the fact is they, they did get lit up and it's just brutal. It happens and they're dead. You see them, they're all fucking fucked up. And, and you know, this is, this is graphic in a way that 1967 had never even, that's another thing with this movie is, you know, you have to remember that, I mean, don't have to remember, but, you know, having read up uh, up on it, 1967, the violence in this movie is just, uh, it's it's appalling to some people. It's it's off-putting. People weren't able to handle it. This is a movie that paved the way for a lot of things, and 
especially this last scene where they're all shot up and I think you see part of Warren Beatty's scalp fly off at one point. It's it's shitty and it's fucked up and you you watch it happen and you know almost anybody going into this movie knows Bonnie and Clyde, they die at the end. But it still sucks to watch. And you watch it happen and they come out of the bushes and then the movie just ends and I was like, holy shit. Just, we're not getting any come down. They're dead. We see them that they're dead and then the movie ends. And I was like, ouch. That's harsh. It's kind of hard to process. And it's another kind of notch in the belt of this movie. It's like, hey man, it's going to take a couple times to fully understand what we're showing you, which is again, why I feel a little conflicted about talking about this movie, but you know, I watched it and that's the point. So whatever, I mean, right. That's like the, that's the show. That's the whole show. I'm, I'm, I'm literally balking against the entire idea of this podcast. So maybe I should shut the fuck up. <laughs> I guess I should probably get into my score for this movie. I, I, like I said, I'm really conflicted about it. I, it's a movie that I think will grow on me the more I watch it. And even just talking about it now, I feel like I've already decided I'm going to give it a better score than I initially went in this episode with. I was going to give it a 6.5 because I felt like it was on par with Easy Rider. But I just think I just think there's just so much going on in this movie. I think it deserves a little bit better of a score than that. Even given my weirdly weighty scores that I give on this podcast what I give uh what's my what's my go-to where I where I say I gave like Chinatown and Godfather an 8.5 or some shit like that so I'll literally never give a movie a 10 ever I mean I mean I'm literally never gonna give a movie a 10 I fucked myself on the first episode right (laughs) I, I fucked myself like the Godfather movies are some of the greatest movies ever made and I didn't give them a 10 so what the fuck am I gonna give a 10 literally nothing but I'm too I'm too deep in it now, right? I uh, I think Bonnie and Clyde is a movie that it rewards patience, it rewards rewatching. It's a movie that paved the way for a lot. It paved the way for Easy Rider. It, it came before it, you know. It paved the way for all of '70s cinema, which I frequently say on the show is one of my favorite periods and. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be like, oh, it deserves a great score because of that. But I mean, just as a movie in general, even as disjointed as it is at times, even as confusing as the time jumps are, even as hard to follow as some of the relationships are, it's all there. the The movies, the movies, just asking you to to pay attention. And it's a movie that I think will reward rewatches. It rewards thinking about. The more I've thought about it, the more I've enjoyed it in my mind. I'm so glad I watched it. I'm going to give it a 7.5. I, I think that's fair. 7.5 is what I'm going to give the movie. Uh, which it still feels like I'm lowballing it, but yeah, I, I, and maybe there's a part of me that's just a little bit resentful of the fact that I thought it'd be one of my new favorite movies of all time. It's not quite at that level, but a 7.5 feels fair for a movie like this. It's just, it is an achievement and I am glad I watched it because it's, it's it's definitely given me some ideas. Anyway, let's end this shit show with my recommendation. Cause Holy crap. Uh, <laughs> I'm worried this episode's already been a lot longer than it should have been. I, 
haven't recorded in a while and I was really unconfident and now I just feel like I've rambled for forever and now I'm rambling at the end. I wonder if I'll cut all this out. Hey, if you're hearing this, I was in a weird moment and I decided not to cut it out because I thought it would be funny, even though I'm basically incoherent. Like I said earlier, I think I'm going to recommend a movie that has Gene Hackman in it. Gene Hackman in it. Uh, the Quick and the Dead. It's a Western movie, and it has a lot of tropes that I like. It's got Western stuff, which I love, and it's basically it's 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 weirdly a tournament movie, almost in a sports type of way, because it's a movie that's about a uh, quick draw competition, and they they face off. It's got Gene Hackman, it's got Leonardo DiCaprio, it's got. Sharon Stone is the lead of the movie. I think maybe, yeah, Russell Crowe's in it. Tobin Bell's in it for all you Saw fans. Keith David's in it. I mean, this this Lance Henriksen is in it. Uh, the guy from CSI New York is Sharon Stone's dad in the flashbacks. It's a it's actually a pretty stacked cast, and it's just a fun movie about. Uh, an old west town where Gene Hackman is in charge of it and he decides he's going to have a quick draw competition to establish his dominance and just people face off in the middle of the square it's just it's a fun movie and if you haven't seen it I highly recommend it it's actually a movie I saw when I was young and I've always thought it was really fun Gene Hackman's in it that's my big connection to the movie but you know you got your outlaws you got your gunfighting you got your there's like a little bit of love of a love story in it, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, I think that's my recommendation. But eh, yeah, <laughs> can you tell I'm running out of steam here? I I, <laughs> I appreciate everybody that stuck around this long. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope maybe if you haven't seen Bonnie and Clyde, maybe you check it out if you're a film fanatic, film fan, you know. It's not a movie you've seen. I do recommend seeing it. It'll definitely leave an impact on you. Uh, if you haven't, I hope you still somehow enjoyed this episode. If you have, I hope I said maybe even just one thing that was remotely enlightening to you. Maybe I ain't never thought about it like that was a thing that you thought at one point where you were like, I never thought about it like that. I thought was a thing. Yeah. Oh, boy. What am I doing? I'm ending the episode. That's what I'm doing. Here I go. Thank you so much for tuning in to Clear Tinted Classics. I've been your host, Jake Baker. I will catch you on the flip itty flop later. Bye, my friends. Hey, guys. Uh, just putting a little thing on the end of this episode to say... I've noticed there's a couple people that actually are listening to the show, and I've never really put any sort of way to get in contact with me. Maybe you want to yell at me about how bad the show is, or maybe you want to say, hey, maybe you're not an asshole. I don't know. Um, but yeah, if you want to find me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Baker San, unfortunately. Jake Baker S A N. It's a. Uh, yeah, I'm a weeb. What do you want me to do? Um, but yeah, I just kind of want to put that out there. If I don't know who's listening to this show, so please say hey. I don't know. Sometimes people tell you to also go on and, and rate their shows because that helps, I guess. I don't know. I don't really care. Uh, do whatever you want to do. 
But I just wanted to say, if you want to say hello, that's where I'm at. It's the easiest place to catch me. If you're listening to this on like Spotify or Apple or whatever, I actually do upload the show to YouTube as well. Um, you could catch me there too. My YouTube name on there is Jake Ryan Baker. Yeah. So I hope to hear from you and uh, 